Police and Community Relations to order at the time being six o'clock. And I, sorry for the delay in our um, agenda getting published. That was my fault, and I'm sorry for those of you who uh, go online on um, Fridays and look for it. It wasn't there, <laughs> but it's here now, and here you all are. So thank you for coming. Um, so the first thing is to call the meeting to order, which I am doing. The second is public comment. I do have one registration from Greg Golembic, um, wishing to speak on number six. Greg, would you care to join us, or do you want to? Should I speak now, or should I speak now, before I um, It's up to you, I would suppose. We could wait if you'd like to hear the presentation. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you. Next would be disclosures and recusals. Members of the work group should make any required disclosures or recusals under city ethics code. Seeing none, and so now we're on item number four, a presentation, Dane County's efforts to reduce disparities in arrests with Colleen Clark Bernhardt, Dane County Equity and Criminal Justice Council Coordinator. Welcome, thanks for coming. And so just before you start, I just want to say that this is an item where we have um, announced that we will could suspend the rules, Robert's Rules of Order, on this item to allow the subcommittee to act informally, thereby allowing for the public to participate in subcommittee discussions and provide testimony. The chair shall maintain order and decorum. Any motions must remain in accord with Robert's rules. The suspension of the rules apply only to this item. So with that, I will turn it over to Colleen. background um, on what the Dane County Criminal Justice Council is. It is a collaborating council that looks at, um, that is, that includes 12 members. Um, those include voting members, the county executive is the chair, vice chair, DAO Zahn, uh, chief presiding judge, sheriff, clerk of courts, county board chair. MPD sits on, as well as the Chair of Public Protection and Judiciary, Public Defender, Department of Corrections, and Municipal Judge. Um, so it's a public meeting that occurs every month for two hours, and the major um, guiding principles for the Criminal Justice Council are data-driven, uh, decision-making, racial equity, and collaborating for change in Dane County's Criminal Justice Council. So I have given you um, our year in review. You all should have that as um, kind of our first foray into trying to be better communicators with the citizenry residents of Dane County as well as the other criminal justice stakeholders. So what I can do is kind of go over a little bit more in detail and if folks have questions along the way, just interrupt me. Um, so I'll just kind of follow, follow the year in review. The pretrial reform uh, nationally, um, pretrial reform is looked at as, as one area of collective interest where um, all sides of the aisle are looking at we need to make better decisions in criminal justice, especially on the front end. Um, our pretrial reform efforts um, include some um, fairly important partners on the national scene. Uh, the Laura and John Arnold F Foundation has developed a um, public safety assessment 
And if folks have questions on what the PSA is, I've got handouts here. And you can always look at the Arnold Foundation's website, but as as a subcommittee of the Criminal Justice Council, we've had a pretrial reform subcommittee that spent um, some time as a team in Washington, D.C. at the National Association of States Courts pretrial um, effort in 2014, and then started looking at real ways to make a difference in our pretrial in that our um, pretrial largely had one court commissioner at initial appearance for 30 years. Um, and he was going to retire. Um, we knew that uh, the pretrial was not evidence-based in Dane County up to that point, so we were looking at what sort of assessment tools could we use so there was more than professional discretion used at IA. So um, looking at the national scene, kind of looking at this with the racial equity scope as well, um, we attempt to get a partnership with the Lauren John Arnold Foundation were turned down, frankly, initially um, for a grant proposal with them. But um, I just kept talking with them and trying to craft some sort of partnership. What ended up was um, even better than I think where we could have been, which is right now we will be starting implementation of our new pretrial probably within two weeks. We have hired 1.5 uh, pretrial assessors. Um, and those folks are brand new to the county, although they're not new to pretrial assessments. They've both worked in the federal assessment um, system. Um, and we partnered with Harvard University Access to Justice Lab. We'll be doing a multi-year study of outcomes of what did this PSA do with Dane County. Are we better off? Are we hopefully not any worse off? How is it um, broken down gender, age, racially? Who is it impacting? Who is it not? Are we seeing less jail days? Are we seeing more jail days? We assume we're going to see more equity, less jail days, but we want to make sure that we're absolutely concrete on that. And we have Harvard University in, um, in a real partnership. Um, the other, so that's kind of a, a really quick um, quick uh, commentary on the public safety assessment. Looking through a lot of national assessments, um, you'll note, A, they might not have what questions are asked, what data collected out in the public domain, because a lot of assessment tools are, are proprietary. Um, the Lauren John Arnold Foundation have been very transparent as far as what questions are asked. Um, and there have, have been shown in, for instance, the state of Kentucky, which uses one pretrial services department for the entire state, um, there to be racial equity in the tool and no predictive bias. So we have to see where it comes for Dane County and that we have our unique culture and we'll be able to um, adjust as we go. We don't have to wait till Harvard's completely done with their study four years from now to know what's happening at different iterations along the way and to be able to make adjustments. So that is a really um, powerful, powerful new partnership that we're, as the CJC, really excited. Um, moving on to the Community Restorative Court, and I sent to Lisa and Heather both a YouTube five-minute video if 
Um, you want to look at the Dane County Community Restorative Court, but this also goes to unique collaborations and looking at systems very differently. Precharging option for 17 to 25-year-olds um, with misdemeanors. Uh, the pilot is the South Side. The uh, South Side MPD has been a very important partner in getting the pilot off the county exec um, in the 2017 budget asked for the CRC to go countywide. Uh, the county board then put some funds in to add a social work component to the CRC. Um, I will say that um, right now MPD has said it is, county, it is citywide for them. Um, the town of Madison is, has already signed on as part of the MOU. Fitchburg is on and there are a lot of the other cities, frankly, that would like the CRC. Um, law enforcement and the communities are seeing this as a very viable tool for um, solving what's going on in communities, repairing the harm, reducing the risk, rebuilding the community um, with victims actually being present and the respondent, which is the traditionally the offender, actually being an active participant in the process instead of um, sometimes uh, folks think of the traditional criminal justice system as very passive. Um, you can stand in court and not have really anything to say. Um, the CRC is the exact opposite of that. Uh, everybody is actively um, participating, attempting to repair the harm, and thus far, uh, the numbers have looked really good, and, and we're trying to grow that, obviously, um, much more so. Another exciting new partnership with the CRC, I should mention the, the, the current partnerships are the law enforcement agencies that I spoke about, the CJC, the district attorney, um, the Department of Human uh, Services, where it sits. Um, since it's beginning, we've partnered with UW Law Restorative Justice Project, as well as the National um, Center for Court Innovation. Just recently, um, my weeks are a little off, but I think it might be a week and a half ago, um, we announced at a press conference we were one of 20 sites selected for the MacArthur Urban Institute grant. Um, which was a highly competitive grant again, and out of 250, Dane was one of the new sites. We are the only site um, that they funded that has a restorative justice base, and that is specifically for 17 to 25-year-olds. So the MacArthur Foundation, the Urban Institute, are very excited about this and will help really build that framework out. So um, my hope is we're building it out for the next 30 years infusing it with technology and um, infusing it with equity and having those national partners kind of looking at the framing of it. So we're making sure we're building it, um, building it for the future, not building it for right now. And with the Urban Institute um, and, again, our local tech community, we hope to engage them in a way that they haven't been engaged, frankly, uh, in the past about thinking ahead, you know, what could technology be in 15 years and how do we start building that infrastructure right now. Um, so that's a really exciting new partnership, brand new. The data capability expansion, I should say, through um, County Board Resolution 556 
in um, 2015, there were three work groups. One was around length of stay in Dane County Jail. One was around the intersection of mental health and criminal justice, and one was around racial disparities in criminal justice. All three work groups, were, which were combining advocates, uh, communities of color, system players, including judges, DAs, and staff, um, in a room trying to craft some recommendations. All three professional facilitators, Jackie Boges, Lindsay Draper, and Jim Mosier, came to us and said, look, you said we could do 10 recommendations each, but we have to tell you we're all in agreement. The number one thing that we don't want to count as our 10 is Dane County needs to get a hold of its data. Um, different systems, MPD has its own data system and a very robust data team. The DA is in the state system. DOC obviously is state, the court state. Other law enforcement agencies have different systems, but there is no way to connect the dots between all of them. Um, the analogy I like to use is criminal justice is, is often seen as, as windowless huts. So one agency understands their data and what's going on, but there's no connectivity between law enforcement, DA, courts, public defender, et cetera. What, um, five, five, what came out of 556 was the county board funding a research analyst. And I'm happy to report in um, May of 2016, we hired uh, CJC uh, research analyst. Her name is Noemi Reyes. She works hand-in-hand -hand with me um, supporting the CJC and moving forward with data. Um, that being said, we've spent probably the last six months um, with a partner, which is the National Council on um, Crime and Delinquency, and I can pass those out, crafting a data-sharing MOU which looks at five years' worth of data, so we can start trying to connect the dots. So Colleen Clark-Bernhardt in Sun Prairie can be connected here in, I, in initial appearance or at booking or at the DA's office, so we can actually start drawing those connections. Once we can do that, we're going to have a lot better capability, and I apologize, I might not have enough. I wasn't sure how many folks are going to be here, um, and I can send that electronically. But we'll have a much better ability to um, have, one, the, the long-term goal is real-time data so the criminal justice stakeholders can see what's going on in the community and how it's impactful. Two is some transparency with our community um, and letting folks know. I mean, my anecdote is, is I worked on the 2009 Task Force on Racial Disparities in the Criminal Justice System, which is a great report, but the data work in that report hasn't been replicated, and, and frankly, I used the data from that report, which is now 10 years old. So we, we need to update things, and um, our long-term goal is to have a dashboard for the community to be able to get the pulse of Dane County's criminal justice system on a number of different indicators. Um, so we've added in that sense. Um, innovation, we've joined in um, October a national cohort of data-driven justice. This was an Obama administration initiative. We're now one of 100, over 100 jurisdictions that's part of DDJ. Now that um, President Obama is no longer in office, the partners who have picked up that work are the National Association of Counties, 
along with a very strong partner, which we're already partnering with pretrial, the Laura and John Arnold Foundation. So through that work, um, we are seeing some really interesting things that other counties are doing and hopeful, hopeful that we can do some of that similar work. Um, I talked a little bit about the data sharing feasibility study. Then the last thing I'll mention is the um, applied data analytics. So Noemi and I were accepted in a scholarship program um, that's hosted by the University of Chicago, NYU, and the University of Maryland to do this deep data dive around data analytics. So we just had our, our first part of the course last week, I'm going to say, in um, Washington, D.C., and really in the space with folks from the Bureau of Justice Statistics, the U.S. Census Bureau, NYPD, um, L.A. prosecutors, um, some other cities and counties looking at how can we kind of build up our internal code to get the information that we need out of these disparate systems. Um, and then at the end of that, really what we'll be trying to do is develop projects where we can look at, okay, how can we code to figure out the intersection of X and Y? Um, one proposed longer-term study is around uh, mental health and criminal justice and um, can you make a predictive analysis, a predictive model for who will be incarcerated in the next year um, using code to, after you have the data, to actually make a predictive analysis on, and a predictive model of that work. So um, that's that part, always looking for um, infusing more racial equity into all ends of criminal justice. There was a, a DOJ grant um, that we got for Dane County Law Enforcement that the Perception Institute hosted. That was uh, part two of the series. I will also um, say presiding Judge Juan Colas uh, shut down the courthouse, which is the first time I had seen that um, for a day in April for an implicit bias um, training for not just judges, but all criminal justice uh, stakeholders, including the clerks, the folks that you know uh, work at the front door, everybody was in in that space. So um, I applaud the effort of of moving that forward. And myself and Judge McNamara presented at that um, at that seminar, kind of what Dane, where Dane County has been on racial disparities since the 2009 report. So that's kind of a, a quick thumbnail sketch and I know it's a lot so I'm happy to answer any questions or comment further if you like. It is a lot, Colleen. <laughs> the sad part is like I had a PowerPoint. We have these silos and we don't always know what each other's doing, so it's very heartening to to hear about all this. So I'll just babble for a minute. Maybe someone will have a question come out of this. Or we could ask Greg to come speak and then go from there. Okay, Greg, you want to join us and stay with us, Colleen? And Pardon me? Oh, number six? I'm sorry. Never mind. Thank you. Um, and it is, it is a lot to take in. It's like 
coming at us. But I'm that's why we're hoping for a website in <laughs> six months. So I, I, I hope to have an online criminal justice council present so it doesn't require um, you all memorizing what I said. But in looking at all these initiatives, because there's several that are underway, and understanding none of them are really complete, right? They're ongoing. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not sure how, do they fit together? Is there a puzzle to this that fits together? And what are your missing pieces? And because I think we need to be aware of that. If there's something in the city mm -hmm. that you feel is, because we're just representing the city, mm -hmm. um, if there's something that you feel that you're missing, um, I think we should know about that. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, from so the overall umbrella is is data needs to help inform decisions, right? So you can't make improvements without ever knowing where you were to start with. So that's one overriding. Racial equity is the other overriding, and and I guess the third would be if if we want to see change in criminal justice, we have to make some change in criminal justice. Um, where I, where I see the city as, as um, partnering, and I, and I would say the, the CRC, from my standpoint, um, is the most unique, and, and uh, obviously I'm not elected, I don't work in your worlds, but um, the most unique collaboration of city, county, and community members that I have seen, um, including when I was able to get a, a national grant to take a team to New York City. And, you know, we had table discussions, and sometimes there would be some tension between city and county players due to just old stuff. But it, it was like, okay, we need to move something forward, right? And, and so all of those players at the table um, – were committed to moving it forward, and it, and the CRC didn't just happen instantaneously. It's it's been a three to four year research it, get that technical assistance grant to do it, do some more research, get our partnerships, get the MOUs crafted. But I will say that that partnership has been very unique. Where where I think, frankly. Um, you know, it's great to have the $50,000 grant, and it's great that the county board put some more money into the CRC, but for full countywide expansion, um, you know, to get up to capacity, that's going to have to be funded at a larger level than it is right now. Given that, we will always, and I know we will always, rely on some great Master of Social Work interns and some great UW Law School interns. That being said, I know there's going to be a capacity hit there. And I can already hear Urban Institute as they're like, okay, we're going to help build this structure and build this rollout. So I would assume by, you know, um, going into the summer and certainly by 2018, you know, my ideal would be, okay, have a plan to get here. How, how, what are our resource hits, and how do we get to here? So what I heard you say is that this has already been adopted citywide in Madison. Is that correct? MPD is mm -hmm. able to make referrals into the CRC. Okay. Yes. And so there's consistency because it all happens at the CRC regardless of right. which but community. It, it, yes, I will say, you know, I don't know how many other jurisdictions other than the south side right now because we're still building up. 
um, like I said, right now the peacemakers and most of the respondents, certainly the law enforcement that's heavily involved are from the South District. But I think in hearing um, the chief speak at the press conference, the endorsement of the CRC is very high as another, in, some, in many cases, better tool than um, formal sanctioning. Certainly, I mean, kind of the initial goal was how can we stop folks from getting on CCAP, um, period. Uh, especially in that age group where neuroscience will tell us that you're you're really not fully developed. Um, and so MPD's referrals, if it was a muni, won't go to CCAP, but, but it still has that collateral consequence. So um, as it does roll out, more so citywide, I mean, we'll handle as much capacity as we can, but... So you're saying it's been endorsed by MPD, but it's actually not rolled out yet? Not fully, because we yeah. don't have the it's capacity. A, okay. I mean, if we had a staff of 10, mm -hmm. then I, I wouldn't see that as a problem. We have a staff right now, really, one full-time CRC coordinator, and we'll have another, another social worker dedicated um, starting, I think, in May or June. But... The rest is, you know, all hands on deck kind of thing. And the peacemakers, that's where the community um, is, is obviously looking for a change in criminal justice. The, the peacemakers are in that space, highly committed, um, have done Herculean work uh, to get the CRC kind of where it is now. So that's the other real key partner. The peacemakers are community members. Okay. Yeah, that have gone through the training at, at UW Law, uh, Restorative Justice, as well as Ron Johnson, who is the CRC coordinator. So those those folks are really um, carrying the ball. Not to be confused with our senator. Mm -hmm. Not to be confused no. with our senator. No, nope. a different Ron Johnson. All right, just checking. <laughs> yeah, maybe no. it was moonlighting. No, okay. no. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I did send up a YouTube link, so that could be sent out, and then you'll see in here the Ron Johnson, who's the CRC coordinator, and it'll give you kind of a summary of what the CRC really is, the mission, and the guiding principles of it. So what would you like to bring back from, uh, you would think the city council should know, or like what should, you know, like what is our goal to help you, I mean, if there were something that you would ask for that we could do as our committee to inform the council and other city staff and the, and the mayor? Well, I mean, I think, number one, hopefully our communication just increases, 100%. right? Um, so that that's a big first step. Two, I think uh, our true partnerships need to increase, frankly, a little bit more. And I understand the financing of all of this is really challenging. But if it's a, you know, from my standpoint, if you've got national folks coming in like MacArthur and Urban Institute and Center for Court Innovation, you have local partners like UW Law and then MPD, all the Chiefs Association, the DA, Human Services, et cetera, you've got some really good foundational pieces there. If we can prove it out that this is a framework that's going to be really beneficial 
as part of front-end community justice. That's something I think the, the council um, and the mayor, as, again, this framework starts being built out countywide, I would hope that you would want to be informed of that and how the city could help support it in that way. Residents of the city of Madison have already supported this huge, being the peacemakers, period. And the victims and the respondents. So, I mean, that's, that's one huge thing. But clearly, the funding resources are really minuscule right now. Um, and the other piece is, is just, again, kind of this huge umbrella of moving criminal justice forward and looking at front-end um, system changes it's just going to require more conversation and, and more communication between the community, the city, and the county. And at the beginning, you said there were 12 members, and one mm -hmm. of them was our own police chief. Is that did I hear you? Uh, the police chief has a representative that normally comes, Captain Accurate. So uh, maybe what we could do as a, as a recommendation that the police do some quarterly or biannual, you know, some kind of regular reporting to the council as a way to some of this kind of initiatives they're involved in that would be a way to increase this because you're involved in a lot of different things that maybe the council is not fully aware of. Colleen brings up a good point about um, capacity. Um, right now, um, we're doing this kind of manually and looking at people with the type of crimes and who's eligible, you know, for restorative justice, and it is taking a lot of time. So we are right now tweaking um, the way we actually get this out and maybe make it more on the person who's getting the citation to contact um, a representative of restorative justice instead of us trying to, um, you know, identify those people and then contact them because of the number of people in the, our record systems, what we have to actually go through to actually get people who are eligible. So we're still in that period of tweaking how we, you know, actually, you know, become a part of the system and be more efficient to get people into restorative justice. Yeah, the referral process has, you know, and retired Captain Ballas and and now Captain Patterson. That, it, it's not a, a quick and easy <laughs> process, and frankly, with the help of Urban Institute, um, CC, Center for Court Innovation, and our local partners, I mean, part of that kind of what is the innovation side of my grant proposal is how do we routinize system change, right? So it's not... This officer loves this program and it gets referred, or, or this ADA loves this program and it gets referred, but how does it become part of the normal practice so it, it's not, um, not an afterthought, depending on who it is? So, so that's part of this building up the framework. Um, two things. Is this the same program that our own Alder Fair is a part of on the south side? Are you aware? Matt, Matt Fair takes place, um, takes time into doing restorative justice. In the, and I'm wondering if it's the same I'm not program. sure because there, there typically is a little anonymity among who is peacemakers, right? It's okay. up to them if they want. Well, he's told me, so <laughs> I think I'm there. Are, there are some different restorative justice programs. Mm -hmm. There's 12 to 16 restorative okay. justice. There's, the, you know, this is 17 to 25. 
There was the Brighter Futures grant that the YWCA is part of, Time Bank, right. you know, and um, uh, Youth Services. Okay. They, they have that piece. Okay. Um, my second question goes, is, isn't there set criteria, getting back to what Cap Captain Wheeler was saying, set criteria that would refer people to this program or no? Yes, there is a set criteria. So then... Um, so but, but what we have to do is go through our records to actually identify those. So it doesn't people. happen, like, on the spot, sort of. Correct. And we had a management team meeting, you know, and coming up with some ideas is maybe to, you know, you give a citation or whatever, and you hand out a pamphlet describing restorative justice and um, put it on that person to actually make the phone calls, make the contacts, and say, I want to be a part of this program. But the way we're doing it now, it actually takes hours to try and, to identify people. who spoke to your management team about this? It was uh, Scott Frazier, who's a member of um, the community policing team in the South District, where okay. it kind of all started right now. Okay. So it's establishing a process. Correct. That's what we're doing. We're tweaking, you know, how we can make this more efficient. And that's on the south side or throughout the city? This is throughout the city. The program started on the south side as a pilot. And it is so they've tweaked it down there, and they understand, and it's working. And as things happen, there are referrals on the south side. We have just needs to be routinized, right? right. It just oh. it, the MPD has has been. Um, a really important partner during this pilot phase to like to get people into the CRC because frankly uh, Southside residents didn't know what the community restorative court was and when you're in the in um, in the midst of a potential conflict with law enforcement and somebody says you know do you want this community it, it, the timing was is a little skewed so you know I think um, the South District really did a, a a great job trying to to get us some some numbers and some people that were actually um, should have a restorative justice option but just like with the other systems I think what we need to look at is just normalizing that referral so it, so it isn't so laborious uh, going through, okay, how deep is this person's criminal history? Are they acceptable into the et cetera, et cetera? Right now it's, it's a lot of work on a lot of different people, and, and that's where we're hoping this national partner will help routinize things. Um, it was just my understanding, and that although it was housed in South Madison, that if anyone committed something in South Madison, so they could be from the east side, west side, doesn't matter, then they would, um, and I know it was objective on how they got referred to this, mm -hmm. but they didn't have to live in South Madison to be referred. You're correct, it's citywide yeah. now. I mean, it started off as a pilot in South Madison, but now we are citywide. Without process or structure. What, pardon me? With citywide, but without process being adopted. 
Well, we do have a process. It's just, you know, um, like Colleen was saying, it just takes a lot of work trying to identify everyone who would be eligible for the program. So that's what we're trying to tweak is to um, change that process of getting people into the program. No, isn't Scott Frazier actually doing more than tweaking? Isn't he, like, writing code, writing software to... That was the first part. He wrote okay. he wrote some code and software to make it a little bit easier, okay. but you still got to go another step, and it still takes some time okay. to so identify those people. Out. Yes, but that gets back to this bigger issue of data, mm -hmm. and data even just within MPD, let alone inter um, agencies within the whole criminal justice system. So I had I had a, a question slightly off this topic, but if you wanted to no, stay on the topic. That the next step, and of course I came in late, so I'm going to acknowledge that everyone and those that are watching. Um, but it seems to me that what you're saying is the next step is almost self-referral. That you, if you got a pamphlet and you read it and you thought, you know, I might be interested in this, then there's a number that I can call to say, hey, can I get into this program? Am I right on that? Okay. I mean, there will still be program criteria. Right. So, you know, it, if it's armed robbery, <laughs> right. So, so in that sense, you might not get a pamphlet. <laughs> right. You might not get a pamphlet. And you know, in some areas, communities start just referring folks as a way of mediation. Right. So, if something's going on in the neighborhood, instead of um, calling law enforcement immediately if it's a long-standing beef between people who have relationship um, they'll call like a, a restorative option to figure out how to how to fix the situation before it, it requires law enforcement so the further front end stuff we can do the better that's the goal right? mm -hmm. Oh, the data capability expansion and the data sharing. Mm -hmm. um, are you focusing at all on the 911? We have not included 911 yet. Is some um, because we're we're frankly we're just trying to get from uh, law enforcement to DOC, and that's that's been a six plus month. Um, crafting MOU, discussing what are, uh, what is possible for us to get and what is impossible for us to get. But I will say um, some other counties, uh, Johnson County, Kansas, which is similarly sized to us, have done some really interesting work uh, with the University of Chicago. This is another reason I'm so excited that we're now a part of the data-driven justice and the analytic um, data team, they've done some interesting work around 911 dispatch, human services, and, and booking, okay? And so that's when I was talking about um, what Johnson County and the University of Chicago did was take five years' worth of data. They, they, they collected, they anonymized data from those three agencies, so... Um, Clearly, a lot of stuff to go through um, crafting that MOU to make sure people's personal information is secure. 
But once that was done, they had six years' worth of data. They looked at five years' worth of data. They looked for that intersection uh, between dispatch, human services, and booking, and they developed a predictive model who was going to be in Johnson County Jail in the sixth year. And they predicted these 200 people, these 200 records will be incarcerated in the next year, um, looking at the first five years' worth of data. What they ended up getting was a hit of like 140 people out of the 200. So their predictive model was predictive. The question is then what are you going to do about it once you have it? What are the human services interventions that you're going to apply for those 200 people that are most likely to be um, incarcerated again. And local law enforcement might have um, what they would term their high utilizers or folks that they see most commonly really anecdotally, but what are the predictive models um, to move into the future? And then what can you do preventative-wise um, for that work? So, so that's kind of a, a, a future hope. Um, right now, we just have to really dig deep and start uh, getting that five years' worth of data from, from the agencies. And I will say, you know, from uh, the DA to MPD to the small – we have a five-city consortium which um, have shared – are willing to share data, um, DOC, et cetera. Folks, it's taken us a while, but um, – folks are, are just now going to start sharing that data. So it, it's going to be kind of in the weeds for a good six months just looking at the data and, again, trying to match A to B to C to D to E. Just to kind of an odd thought. Are there kind of ethical um, questions that arise where, I mean, my science fiction background comes to light, like, oh, in five years you're going to be, you know, arrested. How do we balance, like, like trying to help people and get over, take over their life to a new direction and like kind of predetermining or predicting that something that they'll fulfill the worst about their um, data. Well, from my, what I understand, and obviously Dane County would have to use Corp Council and, and everybody else, so this is, this is my understanding, but that the information would go to more human services versus that way. So even if it was um, I'm booked in Dane County Jail and I have a, a case manager with Dane County Human Services, even if the code is such that that case manager gets a, gets a ping like a Google alert, Colleen Clark Bernhardt's now booked into Dane County Jail, and that's, that isn't transparent to anybody in in Dane County Jail that, that that's underneath and have been anonymized, at least the case manager would know their person is in Dane County Jail. Um, but Johnson County is something that we will look to, um, but they've, they've worked out the HIPAA issues in Johnson County. The reason why I asked that about the 911 was we have like actual real communication problems Tech, like technical communication problems between radio systems even and the multiple jurisdictions that 911 deals with. And 
the you know a lot of times people's first contact with law enforcement comes because of a, the way something is communicated mm -hmm. over that 911 call to the officers you know tablet in their vehicle so I wasn't asking the question just for these long-range, like, huge system things, but for a really practical way, I feel like um, that data data sharing or more intercooperation within the criminal justice system um, on all levels, but especially at that first one, I mean, that maybe that's not, you know, in your purview to deal with, but I know that is a huge problem for um, our police department anyway. Would you agree? There are issues. Well, we, yes. Yeah. And if we can divert some calls, that would be right. a good thing. Yeah. So that would be under the purview of the CJC to, um, you know, once again, we get through kind of the mire of just getting these hundreds of thousands of records and trying to match up from arrest to, to um, reentry. Once we do that initial work, we're developing with the help of National Council on Crime and Delinquency a one-year, a one, three, and five-year work plan um, for the research analyst and I, so that that we can show some actual uh, momentum in this area. Because otherwise, you know, we're kind of going to get hit with whatever um, somebody wants immediately, but that would certainly be other counties, other jurisdictions have looked at that intersection and, and um, especially around, uh, I know a couple of counties, especially around mental health mm -hmm. issues with 911 calls have, have done some work around that. Thanks. Are there other questions? So when you have your analysts go through all this data, you know, you're looking to be more predictive. My question is, would we be able to point out where there's, you know, actual disparate impacts in the system and have actionable things that we can do to try to correct those? Right. So, I mean, right now, again, it's just matching. Um, but I think one of the the frustrations was, um, and I'll just voice this, my frustration was even for myself writing grants using the 2009 task force report, which was a, a great report, but um, questioning is the data better, is, are we worse? Uh, I know where we are as a state um, as far as, as, especially black-white disparities. But what I can say is um, having this partnership with Harvard around pretrial uh, will be disaggregated by uh, race, gender, and age. Um, and that'll help inform some things. So, so, A, we can make sure there's no predictive bias in the, in the instrument, which is, has been proven out through, through millions of cases, but we want to make sure that's the case for Dane County. But B, what are those outcomes, and then are there policy changes that you can make with that decision-making framework that, you know, if, if, and this isn't the way this tool works, but if it's 75 and 80 and, and it's just a false cutoff point, well, but that 75 impacts a huge set of the population, um, then we don't want that. And, I mean, frankly, nationally, pretrial is 
you know, people shouldn't be held unless they absolutely have to be held. It's it's risk of, viol- uh, of criminal violence and it's risk of failure to appear. Um, and those are the main factors that should be used at pretrial. Um, and so that work with Harvard, I think, will really help inform some of the other work. Obviously, on the juvenile justice side, and, and, and I, I, do, I should have said that up front, the CJC is adult criminal justice. It is not juvenile justice. But we've been looking at the relative rate index, you know, on all different levels um, for years. I think, I think w- what needs to happen is, is, is looking you know, we've we've actually had a facilitator come in about four years ago, map out the whole Dane County criminal justice system. Law enforcement was in the room. Everybody's in the room. What we haven't done, so we've got the map, but what we haven't done is put numbers and disaggregate it on each part of that funnel, right? And so that's kind of the in-the-weeds in the work that the research analyst and I have to do, and that's not a short-term thing that's that's long that's going to take us a while even though she's really great <laughs> thank you um sure if there's no more questions should we move along again thank you for um coming today it was very very informative sure and you know as soon as we have more information and i uh, get an online presence i will I will let people know, but we're we're hopeful. We got a lot of stuff going, but um, you know, we we would like to be better communicators of all the stuff that we do have going, and we just haven't had time to do that. So that's the next step too. Thanks. Thank you, Colleen. I'll leave some cards here too if people have follow-up questions. Get a hold of me. The next item is number five, the results of the Neighborhood Association Survey Monkey, which is in your packet. Did everybody get a chance to take a look? So we had... 26 responses, not all were 100% complete, but generally it looks to me kind of hit all parts of the city. Tell me if I'm wrong, but, um, and I thought there were some similarities across, across pretty much many of the respondents. And I guess for me the question is, do we want to take this data another step, or is this enough to satisfy us that we have sort of a finger of the pulse of neighborhoods? Um, what do what does the committee think? what I knew about what neighborhood association contracts were going to say because most of us elders spent a lot of time attending neighborhood association board meetings. So, you know, 
in that sense, to me, confirm what I would have said, you know, car break-ins and, mm-hmm. and speeding and noise were going to be the main kind of quality of life, big issues for me. Um, so, and then, uh, I mean, I think our other attempt was to, to see if they had some formal neighborhood watch program or other formal ways of working with the um, with the police department and that one I didn't add them up but didn't seem to be that many that did It struck me that a number of them had a relationship with the police, that they would come at least to an annual meeting or maybe more often, depending. I think there was maybe one that they didn't really have a whole, like, out, much um, attention from the police, which I would just have the captain take a look at and maybe, <laughs> maybe flag um, appropriate staff on that. anything in here that jumped out at me and said, I want to hear more about that. Let's bring someone in. Which I think was the point of this was to sort of troll for that information. Um, if there's someone, some neighborhood association doing something really innovative or different. Um, and I didn't really, nothing really jumped out to me about that. Anything else on this? Are we satisfied with this? Got what we asked for? And um, Jules Strike from Planning asked if I could share this information with her. Um, they may use it for neighborhood um, stuff, and I'm more than happy to share with uh, police departments, community outreach people too. The results of this survey. That's fine with me. And then thank Jewel for helping with uh, the contact list. Okay, so moving on. Number six, a continued discussion of our recommendations and report development. And at some point, this is where uh, Greg Golombic actually registered, not on a prior item. Greg, if you want to take the chance now to come up. So I'd just like to speak briefly about um, you know, a few potential recommendations. Um, I strongly support, the CRT strongly supports um, inclusion of all of Chris Taylor's suggested provisions. Um, also, what the ACLU has asked for regarding surveillance, but I, I wasn't able to make that meeting. And my understanding is that probably requires a, a different, a separate mechanism, an ordinance. Um, I'd also see, like to see a, a strong recommendation to require implementation of the PERF recommendations. Um, I don't know if all of you have had a chance to go through those, but um, they're incredibly valuable. And I know MPD has you know, said, oh, it's looked at the PERF recommendations and implemented some, but it's actually um, you know, far from, from, from my perspective, that's very far from satisfactory. 
Um, there are also the suggestions I emailed you all when the committee first began meeting. Um, and since that time, you know, there's been a lot of community pressure. The review is ongoing. And MPD has implemented some of those measures. Um, for example, there's now a de-escalation policy. But even in such cases, um, there are still recommendations that I think would be valuable for this committee to make. Um, for example, the de-escalation policy is not referenced in the use of force policies. And when we asked an officer if failing to use de-escalation when it was feasible would be a policy violation in the use of force situation, they were uncertain. So we'd like to see de-escalation policy explicitly referenced in the use of force policy. Um, another example where there's been some progress is I'd um, suggested recommendation for implementation of Edmonton model training. Um, and I know Kristen Roman um, was looking at potentially utilizing, it's a, like a three-phase thing, and she was looking at implementing um, the video element of that training. Um, but like the first two phases of it are not overly time-consuming, and I, and I also would like to see potentially a recommendation to do that. Um, basically, it's evidence-based training for um, helping reduce the risk of use of force when dealing with people with mental health issues. Um, also, I'd like to see um, the language from Philadelphia um, implemented um, holding officers responsible for actions leading up to use of deadly force. Um, this is something that um, Chris Taylor initially did have in her recommendations, but then because she was trying to do it for a statewide level and needs to try to get it passed, you know, she concluded that, you know, she would take it out uh, because it might be difficult getting it through, um, you know, given GOP control, um, given GOP control of the legislature, but it's still valuable. Like, like just to quote the language, police officers shall ensure their actions do not precipitate the use of deadly force by placing themselves or others in jeopardy by taking unnecessary, overly aggressive, or improper actions, it is often tactically superior police procedure to withdraw, take cover, or reposition, rather than the immediate use of force. And I know Seth Stoughton, um, who's on the OIR team and who's really one of the top national specialists on use of force and deadly force, has really advocated for language like this. Um, you know holding officers responsible for things leading up to the, the, like often police will say, well, it's a split second decision, but it's the actions prior to that that often lead to that situation. Um, another thing I'd potentially like to see, um, I'm very happy to see that um, MPD is apparently gonna be implementing IA Pro, but on top of that, I'd like to see implementation of um, something where MPD works with, explores working with University of Chicago Data Science for the Social Good, like Colleen was just talking about, University of Chicago and, and their work on analytics. Um, and like the problem with IA Pro, it just uses a very, for early warning, it just uses a very simplistic threshold system, like for example, has somebody had more than two, has an officer had more than, say, two um, citizen complaints within the last year? 
and there are other thresholds like that you can set, but it's very rudimentary. So it's it's great as far as um, basically an internal affairs database that could be used in real time, but as far as its predictive value, it's very limited. Um, so, you know, I really would like to see a predictive system implemented on top of the IA Pro system. Um, like one reason that's valuable is like if you're always crying wolf, you're not going to be taken seriously. I can IA Pro will flag a lot of people, and it really doesn't rank. Um, whereas with um, the um, system that's been developed by DSSG and University of Chicago, um, I like they've worked, for example, with Nashville. They've worked with Charlotte. And, like, if you take the top 1% in rank, that accounts for 30% of adverse incidents that later occur. Um, so it's really capturing at least a decent set after flagging only, you know, now, we only have to intervene on a much smaller set of people. Um, and also the CRT, I think, has additional recommendations that, you know, we'd like to potentially see implemented. Um, but uh, I know I've, I've spoken for a while. I, I thank you for your time. Um, but I know there's a lot of work involved in actually generating a set of recommendations. Okay, so... We passed out um, Heather's first version of a draft. I want you to have it there in place. Do you have one, Denise? And Sherry, maybe two. Right. It's this is just an idea. This is really not the report. Um, it need Lisa. First of all, I, I should say that Lisa um, and I worked closely together on this, and so uh, we just wanted to understand fully what the committee is looking for when we do do a final report. So these recommendations are examples only, illustrative only of what recommendations, how we might write the recommendations in a really short, tight, executive summary style format. So the portion, the, uh, this document just has an introduction, um, which describes the purpose of the committee, um, overview of activities, which does not include today's presentations or planned presentations. Those will be added. Um, and then a, a list of recommendations, simply uh, sort of a heading for the recommendation, the issue as, um, as concisely as we can describe it, um, and, a, and a short recommendation. And then the report would conclude with um, next steps to implement these recommendations. And so we're, we're just putting this forward for you today to really spur discussion about whether those are the elements you need in a report, uh, is that the format you're looking for, and then um, go from there. And I really want to give Lisa credit for envisioning what this format might look like. And so I guess at some point we need to sort of like sift and winnow through all the things we've heard. And I don't think that this is today we're going to do it all, but to start kind of creating the 
the things that I want to put on the table that be a part of the, the issues and recommendations. Well, is the, I mean, is the format, the format people are comfortable with? Marsha and I had seen it earlier, so that's why I'm like, <laughs> we, 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 we clearly liked it. But, I mean, are there things missing, again, in the, in the just the broad, Format of it, not the content. There'll be appendices to all of this. The entire, yes, legislative file. Sherry? Yeah, I am comfortable with the format. I just wanted to ask just one question, Heather. I was doing something. Was next steps an implementation after conclusion? Um, I think I think we would incorporate the next steps there. Yeah. For me, I, I mentioned that we, I have been asked several times, like, what's your jurisdiction versus the ad hoc committee that's looking at, you know, working with OIR versus the PSRC? And so if there were things that we thought were the short term, things I think that was kind of our vision, what can we do as a short term look at this versus what are longer term things that would be fall under the, the purview of others? So if we had some things that like like we were interested in this, but we understand that you know PSRC could do it or and I don't really have examples, but I just know that I was invited to the PSRC and they felt that they have authority and and, and they wanted some respect for that and I do and so you know if there's things that we would think that they would want to undertake that we would recommend, we should identify those things. I think we could do a section of like issues covered but not um, addressed in this report, but for future either other bodies or future um, iterations of council subcommittees should should take up or or the ad the results of the ad hoc committee or things you know things you know that are ongoing. We could do um, a section that's I'm not sure what we would title it exactly, but other other issues explored, parking lot items, yeah. Or it could just be in our recommendations, and there could be a section of the recommendation like who does it and when. Right, instead of saying we're not taking responsibility for this thing, actually we feel these things are really important to be done, but we're not the ones to do it right now. Um, I think of those things I see, like especially the pet bike or something, like they'll have a whole list of like what agency and how long it takes and yeah. one of those kind of Excel sheet kind of Formats. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. Denise? Yes. Supposed to be doing or allowed to do, and I want to make sure that any recommendations we give them is in their purview. Okay. Well, I feel like I just, one thing we should definitely do is something around this first issue of authority, and I don't know if that is. Uh, on the recommendation, the authority of the council, what is our authority? 
I mean, because that's a lot of the reason I think, I mean, I'm on this committee is to really explore that and figure that out. And I don't know that we can just declare things, but we could try something. Um, we could try making a policy recommendation, right, giving general policy advice and see how that goes. Um, but to me, that's, that's a critical, critical issue for us to get a handle on, even if it's, you know, a slippery handle, but at least, you know, try to make some headway into that. Denise? I do like the idea that Alder Kimball brought up about, like, a first, I'm just going to say first and second, maybe even a third phase, if we have that many things that we want looked into, things that we would recommend out of this committee, and then things that are more long-term and need a deeper dive that would be done by the Citizens Committee or PSRC or probably that's the two, um, that we would ask them to take a look. And again, not that they're not important, it's just that the, the limits of this, the time of this committee are real. And that would all go under next steps. One of the things I've learned through this committee is there are so many things that MPUD does that are involving other law enforcement agencies that I think don't get enough, um, you know, they don't tell their story if to use the common uh, way of describing these things. So when Captain Roman came and talked about that, that initiative or even what um, Colleen said today, those are things like, for me, it was like new information. And maybe not everyone is, has, maybe other people have more information than me, but just make sure that we um, create mechanisms so that the council and through us, our, uh, our constituents learn about some of the initiatives that are underway. Because so many people just think, see, you know, some negative things, but they don't see all the things they could see. I think that the mechanism is more about, and maybe it's under the authority, or I don't know what it is, but at, at the very least, the low-hanging part of it is the structuring the communication in a way that it happens and it's regular. I, I, I mean, and I would say um, I feel like MPD, I'm generalizing, does a better job communicating all to the world than it does to... The, the elected officials. So I learn more by reading the MPD website than what I, or on the chief's blog, of course, than what I may have known myself. And I, I think that's great that there is information out into the community. It's just that it turns out that your elected officials, at least these elected officials, will recognize to be the one that reads the least blogs because I just don't have time for it. And I don't have time to go like looking for communication. I want a briefing because it's part of being, you know, just having a busy life. So, so whether one recommendation could be uh, structuring some, you know, regular briefings of the council because it would get at all of those projects. Like, keep us updated. Like, what's going? Because Colleen came today, and two years from now. Hopefully they've made progress, right? But 
we would want the council to know to our represent to our city's representative in that that's just an example but to our city's representative at that table which MPDs um, you know what's going on and so over time when there is also decision making points we can we we know about the the effort and the issues so that may be a, a, a good recommendation and I think it fits a little bit between this authority thing <laughs> but just briefing us on key projects and information not because we want to well, we, we probably will have something to say because that's who we are as a council but but still it's it's uh, it's communication it's not um, I was just going to say to have more presentations to the council, and I know that a lot of people can't get there early, but I think that is the first step on letting us know what's going on and some of the initiatives that they're doing. But they're recorded, right? So you could watch it if you couldn't be there early. Or you could put an item on the agenda, you know, there's this is a quarterly overtime report. Mm -hmm. I would find it much more interesting to learn about this this project that we just heard about, it, that we know the police are crucial to. I mean, I care about the overtime report, too, but you know what I'm saying. It, it could be on the agenda as a regular quarterly police initiatives projects update and could be somewhat discretionary on to what the topic would be, but just to let us know what what all these things that they're engaged in are. And some of the other stuff that I think we learn is all the the data stuff that I don't really know even how to capture it in my mind, but just hearing the presentation tonight, just even getting it so that it's talking to each other, let alone internally how we get ready to talk outside of us. I mean, to me, there's it's good and kind of like bad. <laughs> to me, it's like I'm sort of, you know, maybe too old and I worry about them being spied on. But on the other hand, we need to be efficient and why we produce information. So whatever that right balance is of protecting privacy and then making sure we're using our resources wisely. That is a difficult one because we use LARMS, Law Enforcement Records Management System. The county uses Spillman, you know, because these kind of systems meet the needs of the individual agencies. So to trying to get all that stuff together is, is very difficult. And even when we're trying to work with the 911 center and, you know, get information from them into our systems, now you're talking the cost of building an interface, you know, so the systems can even talk to each other. But, I mean, that's been a problem as for law enforcement. That's been identified since 9/11. You know, it's just all these different systems out there, and you know, people are more mobile now, and you know, move around a lot, and we really don't know too much about the other um, law enforcement agencies or state agencies are, are doing because of those disparate systems. And yeah, we don't live in a bubble. And so we need to be able to share information within parameters and with ethics. So interfaces are a lot cheaper 
than you know, trying to get new, absolutely new systems in place and have people learn new systems and going over. I mean, people build interfaces all the time for a lot less money. So it's important to be able to see what's going on. Yeah, we do have um, access to the county system, um, Spillman, but we don't have access, not everyone has access to the DA system or the state system. So even though the county has a different system, we can bring up that information they're sharing with us. Okay, so um, how do, does the committee want to proceed? Do we want to have another meeting where we would kind of come with more thoughts on this? Um, kind of get some direction here for Heather and all of us. I think between now and whenever the next meeting would be to, to discuss it, I think it would be good if if we, each of us individually, have a, um, one or two recommendations that for sure we would like to see, that we send it to individually, to Heather, and she can collate those, and we can at least see where we have, like, okay, like everybody wants to have a use of force policy language change, like everybody thinks that one is a priority. Okay, check that, you know, see what, so at least so we can all individually think about what those things would be. I think that's a good idea, and that way we're not flooding each other's correctness. Yeah, because I think when you bring something, you immediately go to this, and you just don't think anymore about what may have been your individual brain. <laughs> um, so that would be one and then the, the other thing that I would say is that um, it, in kind of next step for, these, for the other committees I guess I'm a little like if there is something that was very very obvious that we should say okay you really need to take this and run with it it's under your purview and you should do it I think we should do that but I I want to be careful not to get us to make any recommendations um, to come up with things to do for them, right? I mean, if there was something that was really obvious, we can say that. But I think if, if anything, we need to conclude saying, here are these two other committees, here are their charges. One of them is a permanent, currently a permanent city committee, and the other one was set up for kind of this kind of work and it's a citizen committee and so that it's clear that there is these two things that are continuing and that we were only set up for this very short time frame of work because I did find the language of what <laughs> the public safety review committee charges and it's pretty broad so it says they may review and make recommendations concerning, concerning departmental budgets, review service priorities and capital budget priorities of police and fire departments, serve as a liaison between the community and the city on public safety issues, and review annually and make recommendations to the Common Council regarding the annual work plans and long-range goals of the departments. SPSRC. Do they ever come to BOE Seriously? with budget recommendations? I've never. No. I don't think so. 
Not in four years that I've been on council. But I think it's good to include that in the document so that we all know what their charge is. It may be if it is in the document or at least in the, not in the executive summary, but right, someplace in the document. It may not be a bad idea to have like a table that says, I mean, there has been a lot of questions like, what are you doing over here and who's doing that over there? And so like have a table and say, this is our ad hoc committee, this is our charge. This is, I mean, they all have charge. I mean, this is the citizen. The deliverables? No, they're just what the goals, the charge. And then this is the PSRCs and just laid out and then you highlight in yellow ours and then we continue on ours and we'll leave the other two doing their thing. I mean, I just said it's a visual idea so people can see. I think that's a great idea. So it's the PSRC, the MPD, Going to bed at 1 a.m. So Alder Bedar had a late night, so we're trying to see if we can. Any question about beer gardens? I can answer. Are there other, any other comments on this recommendations and report development? Heather, do you have your kind of have any questions for us? Maybe we could just go over the timetable. Okay. That's a good question. So the next item shows some the future meetings and the t resolution timeline. So, so the next meeting is February Monday the twenty seventh of February six o'clock, and CCBGR twenty seven. We won't have any presentations, and we'll work on the report and recommendations. So, assuming we're uh, uh, productive, or it suggests that we would be at resolution at the council on March 7th. So, I'm not sure if that's. Well, we still haven't heard from MPD and. Oh, okay, right. We their tool that. belt or the software presentation, right? Because we missed those meetings. And so. When I look at this, I don't see that we have enough meetings scheduled and time scheduled to make a March 7th deadline because we need to do that. And I don't know if it's possible, given work on another committee I'm doing where we're under the gun, under the gun so to speak, to, um, to have this done in one meeting. It seems to me that there's one meeting of really hashing things out and then Heather, Lisa, go away and put things together and come back to us, then we hash them out again. Here, I, I have a, a somewhat suggestion. Um, we are supposed to introduce the uh, resolution with the report on March 7th. Technically, we could introduce that by title only and give us some time to have another meeting. 
Um, the problem is trying to schedule that other meeting is very difficult. Um, so, so yes, our, our next meeting is the 27th on a Monday. Um, I don't know if um, people have any time on Wednesday, March 1st. On the 27th, would we would that be the makeup? We could we could see for if, what we missed um, if uh, Sergeant Kim and um, Amy Chamberlain. Chamberlain. Lieutenant Chamberlain are available. I don't know at this time. Um, you know, if push came to shove, uh, would you want either one or the other? Um, what would you feel? Would you? If you had to take one of those, use of force or the software, let's say you had to pick one of those. Okay, I don't know that it needs to be. Is it Sergeant too? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I understand that that is his newly created job, but when former Alder Schmidt and I heard this presentation, it was from two officers at the training facility. So if they can't, you know, if I have to choose, I'd rather still have that on the agenda and have someone else present. And I don't know if, I don't, Chamberlain? Chamberlain. Chamberlain, if she has a second. So we're, you're saying that you're not, um, you would like the tool belt, not the use of force policy? No, both. Oh. But there has to be, I mean, this is a newly created position, so there has to be someone else, if he can't make it, that could present in his place. Okay. There's not one person among our police force that has the the nugget of knowledge on all of this, right? And I don't know if Captain Wheeler, if you'd like to speak to this. I really hope there's not one person in all of our police force that has this knowledge. Well, you know, the reason that we would have um, Sergeant Two do it is because he's part of the Law Enforcement Standards Board. I mean, considered an expert and you know use of force and you know when we were planning this we just don't want to put something out here tools on a belt yeah. but you also want some context to it you know so that's why we wanted um and the chief wanted sergeant to actually totally understand but if we're going to put this into a meeting and we have a date you know i would think that the chief would be able to recommend someone else to help us understand use of force and the tools available mm -hmm. So would that be on the 27th? I, the I can 27th. talk to the chief and see what right. who's available. And then also for, is it Lieutenant well, Chamberlain? Well, I think we have to see because I have to see if we're actually going to be able to schedule another meeting. I mean, the 27th has been dedicated for the final recommendations. I need to know, that's fine if we want to use the use of force and the software for that presentation, but then we definitely need another meeting either on March 1st or March 9th. And I just want to say that I think it's imperative that we hear from the police department on these items. We've heard from other individuals on use of force, but we haven't heard from our own police department. And yet we're making recommendations to our police department. So I don't think that's something that we can skip. question about the idea of introducing it by title only. Um, 
What about the referrals to the committees? They can't deal with things in title only, and that's the whole. That it would, if it's introduced on the 7th and we meet on the 9th, which is one option, I mean, unless there is a committee meeting on the 8th that we're referring to, but probably not. When does PSRC meet? Because who would we refer to besides PSRC? There's a special meeting. There is one scheduled. Yeah. I thought so. Special. We talked about it, yeah. On the, yeah, 21st. That's what I thought. PSRC meets on March 14th. Okay. Um, I'm not sure about... Who else did we were going to refer to? CCOC. EOC is March 9th. Who is? EOC is at March 9th at 5. And then, was it... The well, that we already got scheduled for the yeah. first. So those were the only introductions. So we had rec uh, referrals. I'm sorry, what? So there would be an issue with the EOC. I'm going the week of the 27th of February. You can have this meeting. I'll watch it on TV. Um, <coughs> but if you're going to have another meeting that week, then I'll be school. But you can't do this. March 6th. Did you say the 1st, Lisa? I can't do that. I said March 1st. Uh -huh. um, March 6th is planning commission. <coughs> and landmarks and city county homeless issues. <coughs> <coughs> and then you had March 9th? I had March 9th, but EOC is also meeting that night, so we wouldn't have... Um, so who can't be here on the 6th? Sherry, because we have a plan. I have two meetings that night. <coughs> 7th is council. The 8th is Board of Public Works, Urban Design, Education, TPC, Park Commissioner, so that's pretty much Yeah, the reason, I mean, <coughs> I forgot about EOC being the referral to, I mean, the ninth I had because it looked like it was just CDA. There was a zoning meeting that night, too. Um, I'm going to leave it up to you. Unless you want to just power through everything on the 27th. We can't power through a presentation and recommendations. Okay. But, I mean, can we introduce something on the 7th saying we're asking for a delay? I mean, that's a, a well-known device that the council has used. I mean, if we said that we would report it by that date, we can report and say we'll be in two weeks or whatever, right? I mean, the issue is, is not. Oh, the changeover and the referrals. The issue is that after that meeting in April, we will have a new council with the new CCOC and 
So that's what we're trying to get it done before. Um, I, I want to just want an additional idea. I'm wondering if there would be any interest from EOC and PSRC to have a joint meeting on the 14th to discuss it together. I, I have no answer EOC for that. EOC has been having quorum issues. EOC has? Yeah, we didn't meet this month because of quorum issues. So. Huh? But so yeah. Well, I mean, that's a good, I mean, that's a compromise. Always looking for one. Oh, my gosh, <laughs> those two committees together. Well, well, it's all about communication. communication. <laughs> <laughs> it could be a rich discussion. Yes, it could. Could you chat on that? Doing a joint that's meeting in the 14th? Yeah. Sure. It definitely would give us some breathing room. The one thing I would say, and I don't, I, I don't remember how that is, but they need to be, like if you call a joint meeting and one of them doesn't have quorum, then the whole meeting right. won't happen. So it needs to be like two separate meetings happening at the same time. In the same room. So order correct. But so you do it as a joint meeting, and one of them doesn't have quorum, like right. then right. the other one can meet either. So you, well, you can have part of the meeting just join. PSRC could meet, and then part right. of the meeting. Right, but what I'm saying is just have two separate meetings. With notice of possible quorum meetings. Correct. So that way, if they don't, if one doesn't get a quorum, that's yeah, not going to screw up but the other issue that we might get with EOC is because we didn't meet this month, we've got a backlog of work, and there's actual work that we're doing. But and that, that this would be a special meeting, which would be actually would be helpful with that situation. Oh, uh, additional meeting? Correct. Additional meeting. Okay. Gotcha. So that, that's an additional point to my to well, argument and, to my and, special and meeting. And I'll have to talk to PSRC because it's a regular meeting. Right. Date, so... Um, this is March 14th. Yes. Okay. Which well, then allows me to assume we have a date. Right. <laughs> March 7th and 14th that we can meet. March 9th? Yeah, March 9th. Yeah. I think it's the 9th. The 9th? I mean, only Campbell has her regular year. Yeah. yeah. But Should we hold that, that backlog work? Oh, that's oh. the 9th. So. Okay. Are we holding the 9th? And the 8th? Isn't that good because of UDC? So, so you want me to find out if um, MPD staff is available on the 27th to do their presentations that evening. Um, also, schedule a meeting for the 9th, which we. What time would you guys like? Okay. What time are you available? 4.30 or 5, Alder Campbell? EOC meets at 5. If you do it at 6, I could bail out of it. We're meeting all over the city, so oh. I don't know where we're going to be in March. Should I say 6.30? Sure. Okay. Would that meeting then that evening be the one to do your final recommendations? I guess it has to be in a way. 
and then have a joint meeting with PSRC, EOC on the 14th. Um, and so the purpose of that would be for them to review. To vote on the report, yeah. For the PSRC and EOC mm -hmm. to do that, not this committee. Mm -hmm. And who? Okay. And PSRC is already meeting on the 14th at 5. On the 14th? On the 14th. On that PSRC? Is anyone on this committee on those committees? I'm on EOC. On the 14th Committee on Employee Relations, but I would happily forego it for this. I would I'm honest. just saying this committee needs to be represented there to ask questions, so questions can be asked. So PSRC would have their regular meeting, and EOC would have a special meeting. Is that right. correct? So I'll have to contact. All right. And as long as they're both calling their meetings to order, they can meet together on one thing and then separate for the rest of their agenda if they have that. People don't have to stick around. Right. Very positive. Okay. I mean, EOC could just have on their agenda that item. And then right. So the only thing I have on here right now is, oh, is March 8th or 9th? Which one is it? 9th. Is extra time, right? That's going to be a long meeting. And this is provided that the committees can meet together. And EOC will need to have quorum. So well, it'll, they'll just, if they want it to weigh in on it bad enough, they'll make quorum. Okay. Right? Okay. Thank you, everybody. Welcome. I didn't have to send out another. Yay. <laughs> okay, so then we've, we've got our aggressive timeline that we're all going to get this done, as we said we would. And so that brings us to um, the final item on the agenda, which is adjournment. So moved. All in favor? Aye. 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 Thank you, everybody.